Sebastian, I never asked how to pronounce your last name. And, la- and last time we interviewed you, I didn't even a- I didn't even try to pronounce it because I didn't <laughs> ask you in advance. So I'm going to fix my mistake. So how do you say yeah. it? No problem. My, my, my last name is Schlurike. Hi, everyone. I'm Andrew. And I'm Michael. And this is the Endurance Innovation Podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to uh, Endurance Innovation. We're keen to be back. I know we took a little bit of a week off, and that was mostly uh, vacation-related, both me and Andrew. And uh, also, it turns out that, you know, the folks that we want to get on the show in uh, in, the late of the, in the late summer months, they, uh, they want to cram in their vacations, too. So between us being busy and uh, us having a tough time booking people that we really wanted to talk to, we, we took them one week off, but now we're back. And um, joining us for the second time, his second appearance on Endurance Innovation, and someone I talk to offline quite a bit is Sebastian Schlerike of Aerotune. And he's laughing at me because uh, before before we did the intro, I, I asked him how to pronounce his last name. So now I'm, uh, I'm doing my best here. Uh, so Sebastian, thank you so much for taking the time and uh, for coming back on the show. We've got some uh, a mix of listener questions for you and a mix of uh, Michael Lieberzon questions. So I think it'll be, uh, uh, at least for me, a fun and uh, educational conversation. Hi, Michael. Nice to be again on the show. That um, makes me really happy. And I'm looking forward to help you out with your questions. <laughs> and uh, maybe we get some ideas how, how the people can good, do good aerodynamic testing and have an idea what's important and what's not so important and what are the low-hanging fruits as always. Right. And uh, I'm, I'm thrilled that you're here, Sebastian, too, because you, by now, I, if, if our roles were reversed, I might be sick of your questions because uh, listeners, as you may know, uh, I've been doing a little bit of aero testing, both on myself and then on some folks who we'll talk about in the show as well. Um, and then when, when, things, when I don't understand things or I don't understand the results or, or something isn't working the way that I thought it was supposed to work, <laughs> I, would, uh, I would send Sebastian questions, sometimes in the middle of the day, in the middle of the field, when we're out. In uh, you know, in the countryside of uh, of southern Ontario, trying to do a test, I'm like Sebastian, can you explain this to me? Like, I don't understand why this is happening. And so he's been kind enough to uh, to do that for me, and uh, I'm glad that he's not too not so sick of me that he still wants to have this conversation on the show. Yes, it's obvious. Well, so the things you have learned now is the things I've learned for two or three or four years, and sometimes hmm. it's really crazy, like. Like one time I had a problem with, with the back feel and the rim was not centered and there was a small touch with the brake. Mm. And I didn't realize that. And we looked a lot of the data because the CDA is jumping higher and we have no conclusion why that happens. And it took a long time to get that problem out. And after we fix it, then the CDA, everything was good again so every values was fine but during that, that session and if you have the client there and you do their dynamic testing you want sure. some good results and if you have no idea what happens then you get a little bit in sweat <laughs> and um, <laughs> yeah but that's that's our learnings you have to do as an aerodynamic um, fitter and that's the big difference to a bike fitter like where you can see all the angels and you have the feeling of the rider and 
the rider is comfortable. But if you're doing aerodynamic testing out there, you will be, be proved by the values and mm -hmm. just the values. And that's a big difference. I've definitely done a lot of learning this summer as far as aerodynamic testing and fitting goes. Uh, it's been it's been a steep curve, a really fun one, listeners. I've really enjoyed doing it, and uh, with Sebastian's uh, help, of course. Uh, but it's also worth it. We um, I was really thrilled to see this past weekend. We're recording on the thirty first of August, and uh, I believe the this podcast will this episode will come out this week. But this past weekend, uh, there was a, a race in Maine, a seventy point three Maine, where one of the folks that we've worked with, um, I believe we did three sessions was um, Taylor Reed, and uh, he had a standout bike performance. He was uh, he had the fastest bike split on the day, uh, and maybe a PR. I don't want to confuse things for Taylor or you know mis misquote him. Um, but uh, yeah, he had a really terrific bike, and it's not to say that we made a dramatic difference in those three sessions. But what Taylor and I worked through were some uh, some options for position, for front end positions, and some equipment choices. And we were able to land on you know, a position that was, you know, that was a clear winner uh, and a helmet kit combination that was a clear winner for him and one where he was comfortable enough to to put out the watts that he wanted to put out. And uh, that's it was a super, you know, it was a it was a long process. It was a technical process. But, you know, the I would like to think that at least part of the part of his success in um, in Maine was our ability to find that uh, that fastest position. I haven't uh, talked to him since Maine. I haven't done that debrief. And so I actually don't even know if he even used that position. Maybe he went back to what, what his old stuff was. And uh, and uh, I'm trying to take credit for, for something I have no business taking credit for. But uh, at the same time, it was still fun to see him put on a good show on the bike after having done a few sessions with us. And uh, so it is worth it. I mean, that's the that's the big takeaway that they're, even for people who are already kind of on the pointy end of performance and aerodynamics, there are still uh, opportunities for, I would say, non-trivial improvement in in performance through this kind of process. Yes. So aerodynamics is it's so cool that you that you made these steps and that he got the result and got the fastest bike split. That's really cool, and that shows that aerodynamic is really important. So we we have in Germany we have. Um, The, the Ironman, Ironman Hamburg was last weekend, mm -hmm. and uh, two of our riders, Laura Zimmermann and, um, uh, and Leonie Conchala, was the first place. Okay. Leonie Conchala, I did testing with her. Leonie Conchala was the first place, and Laura Zimmermann take the, the, the win for her. Mm -hmm. And uh, we did, with, with Laura, we did a lot of aerodynamic testing, and with Leonie, We did just one session, but it was a really good session, and okay. it was her first Ironman, and she finished in nine hours and four minutes, and wow. uh, only eight minutes behind Laura. So that was really amazing. So, so, and, and you can see the the impact if you're doing aerodynamic testing. Not even the the girls not even gun for the the fastest bike split. They they gun for a good run after the bike split. And so you have you ha you can do the decision if you have the aerodynamic advantage. You don't need to be the first one in the in the uh, transition zone for the running. Mm -hmm. You can also also save your energy and uh, do a great run after that. And both girls did that, 
and Laura takes the win, and uh, Leonie was on the first place. That's was re really cool. That's amazing. Yeah, that, and that's a really good point that you that you bring up. Yeah, you don't need to absolutely destroy the bike. Um, it's uh, you know I remember one of the Cervelo engineers. Um, I think he went to work for Cannondale afterwards, and I, his name escapes me, but really well known guy in the industry. That he was he always talked about how um, you know easy and fast are two sides of the same coin, right? Like you can go either you can either go fast, you know, with a, with a lot of effort, or you can go you know, if you improve your aerodynamic position, you can go as fast or maybe even faster than your old speed with substantially less effort and save your legs for the run, as you point out, Sebastian. So that's uh, that's a point well taken. So let's uh, jump into the uh, the topic that I really wanted to discuss today. Um, so before we get to the listener questions and my own question, um, I want to revisit uh, aero testing um, and with, with you know the preamble that we just gave you listeners how you know how fraught it is with with uh, nuances I guess with how many how many little things you got to get right um, what I want to do today is present you with kind of a, a high level guide a how to of of getting it right of you know you've you've gone out and you've either you know purchased a device from any of the any of the folks out there or you're using Aerotunes platform which you know as listeners to the show know that that's my current preferred method and I, I'm a big fan um, regardless of who or what you're using there are certain common elements that you have to do right and if you don't do those things right you're you're not going to get very good data so this is where um, uh, this is where Sebastian's expertise really comes in uh, because not only did he develop Aerotune but as he mentioned he does a lot of testing himself and he talked about this uh, the last time we had him on the show uh, but uh, let's start with the things, Sebastian, that are really mission critical. Like if you don't get these things right, you're not going to get a good result. Um, and then we'll move on to things that are maybe, you know, good to get right for for a very high precision uh, result. Yes, let's do that. So so I made in the in the front of our uh, interview today, I made a, a, a table for me like, how you can do the measurement. And we have the low accuracy, we have medium accuracy, and we can do really high accuracy, okay. but there are a lot of steps possible for that. So normally it's like in low accuracy, but that, that, what does that mean? So it means you have an accuracy about 5%, and that's maybe too less. Mm -hmm. But for the beginning, always, I, I, I really say, so for the first aerodynamic test, it's fine. Just to see a number, just to see how it works. Mm -hmm. And that's something like you have just your GPS computer with you, you have a single-sided power meter, and you have a random test route, you make no ideas about where you can test going just out, doing 1,000 meter out and inbound ride. And maybe you, you're veering a windbreaker jacket that's also bad, and uh, you have high rim wheels because you, you love your high rim wheels and you have strong winds on that day, then you get a low accuracy. So that's mm. something you will have and you have to do some good decisions at the beginning. So if you want a medium accuracy, so like 3% th accuracy, so then, then you get more details and you can see the difference between helmets, not too close, but it's possible. Then you have, then, then it's really important so to use a speed sensor. A speed sensor is really a must. Mm -hmm. So don't go out without a speed sensor because the GPS signal is not always the best. And then you have the problem like um, the algorithm has the problems because the, the measured speed is not correct. And then you will also have 
different CDA values and the GPS system is not always the same. So you don't have always the same error. And that's a big problem. So use a speed sensor. And then if you're looking for the next step, what's really important is the test route. Mm -hmm. So don't go out and do aerodynamic testing. Maybe you have a lot of traffic on the test route that's not so good. Or if you have a strong wind in the in the in the right direction, then you have also a problem that's not good for the algorithm mm-hmm. um, to to make the calculations, and that's that's um, that, that's bad. So look for a, for a test route where you know the wind comes always from the side. So in in the north of Germany, it's really easy because in the north of Germany you have always the wind from the west. So okay. 70% the wind comes from the west. And if the wind not comes from the west, it comes from the east. <laughs> okay. So that's really cool. So you just need a test route from north to south. And then you are then you have always the wind from the side. And that's really good for our aerodynamic testing system. And if you then go out, don't use high rim wheels. So because mm. high rim wheels, you, you have... The, the sailing effect with the high rim wheels. Mm-hmm. And if you have the wind from the side, like I, I say it's the best for our system, then you have sometimes sailing and sometimes not, and that will change the CDA value. And you have no idea why the CDA value is changing at that moment. So if you do body position, if you do helmet, if you do like bottle testing, always use standard rim wheels because it's not important to have the, the best CDE value at that moment. And there will be normally no systematical error because of choosing your standard rim wheels. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's really important to take the normal wheels. And just if you want really one time to see your CDE value and how low you are, then make it do the test at the end of your aerodynamic testing system and test the high rim wheels, test your disc or something like that to see how low your CDA value is. But Mm -hmm. if you want to change something and you want really to see if that, if, if the change you did is um, significant, then do not use high rim wheels. Yeah. I I really like that explanation. And uh, this is something that I've had to tell people when I'm testing with them. And they're like, okay, so I'm going to bring my 90 front and a disc. And I'm like, nope, you're going to bring your training wheels. You're going to bring your alloy, whatever, 25, 32 millimeters, whatever you got, bring those, the shallowest things you got. Um, and it's a signal to noise problem, right? Because as you say, yes. with, uh, with any kind of wind, with any kind of non-zero yaw wind, you are going to get that sailing effect. Uh, and it's not constant. Like that's something, you know, there's no there's no such thing as a constant wind, right? Yes. So whenever you have variations in that wind, that effect is going to change. And if you're, as you're, as you point out, uh, if you're testing something that might have only very marginal differences, you're not going to see those differences because of that, because of the noise from the wheels. So that's a really yes. good point. Yes, um, I want true. you to touch on uh, the single-sided, double-sided power meter. You mentioned that in your low accuracy, you can get away with single-sided, but anything else I'm guessing you're looking for dual-sided? Yes. And for high accuracy, I would say you you should use a crank power meter. Crank-based, okay. Yes. that that. So we have a lot of data in our platform, and we see there's a co- correlation between the accuracy, the measurement error, and the, the power meters. And okay. the crank power meters, double-sided, are the best ones. And it's it's easier to measure with a crank power meter than with a pedal, yeah. Hmm. And 
um, it's from the from technical aspects, it's easier to measure it in the crank. Um, you have other benefits with the with the pedals, and uh, normally I would say this this the most pedals you can do the aerodynamic testing. And and I would not say so before you start your testing. Don't go out and buy your crank power meter. Just test your equipment. Mm -hmm. Maybe your equipment is fine for the accuracy. So at the end of the aerodynamic testing, you see the accuracy in our platform. So you can see the error, and then you have an idea how big the error is. And also on our platform, there are the test routes, all the test routes over the world are out there. And the average measurement error is, you, you can see that error for every test route. And you, then you have an idea what's a low error mm -hmm. and what's a high error. Mm -hmm. And um, then you really have the possibility to check, okay, my equipment is not the best. Maybe you have a double-sided power meter, but it's also possible that your power meter could be have a problem or something like that. Everything can happen. And uh, then it's uh, always nice to have the, the eyes open for everything what can, can be wrong. And um, so normally I would say the double-sided crank power meter is the best system for aerodynamic testing. So also the, the wheel, um, uh, like the power tab wheel was also great measurement. Um, mm -hmm. You can also test with that. Um, that's no problem. So, and then, then we are... Before we leave the power meter, before we leave the power meter conversation, though, uh, I just want to share my own anecdote. Uh, yeah, I echo what Sebastian said. There's so many problems with power meters, power meters that are read clearly reading too low or too high based on readings. Power meters with dropouts, those are really frustrating. We had, uh, I was trying to test uh, an individual who had an older P1, um, the PowerTap P1 pedals, and they were dual sided. So we thought they were good, but they were the first generation and he had a dropout like every every 30 seconds or every 25 seconds and so the data was completely unusable because there basically it would read zero every there's probably some communication error we don't i don't know but uh i actually went out and i bought a set of the the latest garmin um they used to be called vectors now they're called rally pedals nice. because for for the for testing you know for testing folks uh, I asked Sebastian this question. He goes, well, most people who are serious enough to want to do aero testing probably have a dual-sided power meter already. But I've seen a bunch that don't. And so I'm, I'm betting on the fact that the rallies are going to be accurate enough for, you know, for most people who don't already have a dual-sided. Um, and because they come with different pedal bodies now, you can, like, clamp on anything. Well, not anything, but a look, a Shimano or even an SPD Shimano or, yeah, an SPD Shimano. Um, and, uh, and, and away you go. And it's, uh, I've, I've had pretty good, uh, pretty good luck with them. I've tested them against, um, against uh, power two max, um, power meter. And, uh, it looks, they look to be, they look to be really, really, really close. So, um, that's, that's the way that I'm using it, but, but for my own testing on my own bike, yeah, it is a, it is a crank based, uh, power meter. And Michael, that's a really good idea from you to use always the same power meter for your clients. If the athletes come to you and you use your power meter, then you have always an idea about CDA values. Because mm -hmm. if they use their own power meter, you could always have the problem that you have an offset error or something like that. And then the people, you see a CDA value and uh, saying, wow, that's really low, but it's just um, too low power values from the power it's meter. It's not possible, yeah. And if you use always the same power meter, then you have a good idea about the CDA values you are seeing with, the, with your athletes and have an idea. So is it 
a really low CDE value or is it not? Mm -hmm. So that's that's normally the question. So if the people are coming to you and you are doing aerodynamic testing and the people comes with 30 error points, then it's an easy way to get them faster. <laughs> yes. But and if they come with 20 error points, then you think, oh wow, that's uh, then we have we need a lot of work to getting you faster. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know the power meter and if that is a calibration error or an offset error or something like that, then you don't know if that's really a low CDE value or a high CDE value. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that uh, you're always struggling with, with with arrow testing is that you get a you get a number and you have to you know, it's it's an equation. It's a it's a problem with a lot of uh, a lot of inputs. You know, a lot of things can affect your CDA, your your displayed CDA, and you have to make sure that you're controlling all of them. That at least they're all consistent across the board. At least there's no you know variability from time to time. But also in absolute terms, right? Like as you say, if your power meter is reading too high or too low, then you're going to get numbers that maybe within the session are consistent, but globally don't make much sense you know we've yeah i've tested folks who who will who, who've come back with you know point two, you know with like 21 arrow points your position really doesn't look like a 21 arrow point position there's definitely something that's that's happening here and that's you know in this case we were pretty confident and you and i talked about this case we're pretty confident that the power meter was just reading too low yes and and normally it's like if you're just testing with your own power meter it's no problem if you have an offset problem like if the the arrow is repeatability and you can always test the same it's no problem but the problem is that you have no knowledge about that how good is your cde value against the other ones mm -hmm. and then you normally oh is there room for improvement or is it not so and yeah. then then the the cde values from the other athletes are interesting because you have an idea if there's room for improvement or not Right. Uh, one thing I want to jump back to also is what you said about being able to view that all the different test routes on the AeroTune platform. This, I just, I mean, I knew it was there, but I never looked at it. But this is a remarkably useful piece of kit or piece of, you know, feature, let's say, for uh, aero testers, yes. right? Or people who are even who are doing their own aero testing, but in an area with, that, that have routes. Because honestly, one of the first things that I did and I had to do it was I had, I worked pretty hard to find routes around Toronto, which is super busy, big city that were okay to test on. And it took, that took a lot of time to find those, to find those routes. And then now that I find them, I'm, I'm testing all the time on the same places. And, uh, and then now anyone else who's using AeroTune can see where my routes are and can, can do their testing there as well. And being able to look at the error so that you can compare a few, you know, let's say you ran a test and uh, on a route that shows an error of 2%, which is a pretty decent error, and then your your error is like four percent or three and a half percent. You know that there's something's up, right? That you're yes. either either you're you know if you're testing yourself, let's say either your position's not stable or that or there's some kind of equipment issue that um, the bear's addressing, and that's that's really really useful. And I never until you just mentioned it, I never thought about using it that way of like seeing. Are you doing a good job with arrow if, with arrow testing, or is it or is it um, you know just really messy, uh, very high noise data? Yeah, and you can see really uh, test routes with with errors lower than two percent, like one mm -hmm. and a half or one one point two percent, and you can also see velodrome testing with zero point five percent error. So also the velodromes from the from the tour teams are also in there. 
like the average errors, if the two teams are testing with that, you see the errors there and you don't see the CDE values from the from the, tour, <laughs> from, from the pro tour riders. But you can see that the people are in the velodrome and you see really low errors there. Yeah. But, but there's some big difference between velodrome testing and outdoor testing that's, that you have always to imagine. is like in the velodrome, the CDE value is calculated from the labs and you will never release your body position from the bike so you don't move up or something like that so you have eight laps in the perfect position you you're not gunning up and if you do the outdoor aerodynamic testing you have every time you you make your turn you leave your position and getting back in the position yeah and that's a big difference and that's something i miss in the in the velodrome testing because um you the people are not able so so Pro athletes sometimes they can do that, but normally, if you really looking from a science view of on that, you're not possible to get in the exact position back, mm -hmm. and then you will always have the noise from from your body position, and then you will have a higher error. That's that's something like you will see the difference on the velodrome testing to the outdoor testing in our test routes. Mm. Interesting. I've been in my own testing because I, I just did uh, just did some testing uh, on Sunday this week. Uh, I'm really trying to be careful with like how I hold my hands down to the way that I interlace my fingers. And now I I've ingrained it. So like my thumbs go over the shifters in a certain way and then my fingers lock in a certain way. And that puts me in the exact same spot on the on the um, on the uh, the pads because I, I'm riding and I really like them. They're the um, tri rig. Uh, scoops so they're like the super long pads they're probably like i don't know 25 centimeters long they're amazing because you can put so you can get you can get so much support and you can move up and you know you have it's almost like you have a ton of reach adjustment without adjusting any kind of without adjusting anything on the bike you can test your elbows all the way back or your elbows further forward on the pads i, I love them um, for that reason um but one of the things that's tricky is head position right because um one of the, the places where i test there are always other people and so you know you got to look up sometimes to see make sure you don't you don't smoke somebody um and uh and getting your head in the exact right position is always a trick one of the fun things that we had when we had mark graveline on and uh, folks you remember he was one of the guys that developed Noshio, and now he's developing his own gizmo as he calls it um is he's he's thinking of using um an imu similar to yes. let's say what like leomo has uh and it's i think his is a helmet mounted one so he we might be able to get you know with his device which i think he's he and i are trying to get together he's in ottawa so he's not far from me uh he and i are trying to get together and do some testing in in the middle of next month to see what what we can get out of out of his gizmo and his imu just to see what uh you know how how good my head position is how stable my head position is yeah. because head position is enormously important yes. in in for most people and uh you know if you're doing subsequent passes let's say you're testing like a bottle placement or like i was testing i was testing calf sleeves so not huge deltas potentially although some of the some of the results are pretty promising um but if my head was different from one run to the next that's that introduces a big error that has nothing to do with my calves it's just my head yeah. so that's another big position problem to solve i think that's probably the hardest one is your head yes that's true and there are some really interesting questions coming with that what you are saying we already did it with leomo we put it into the helmet and we did the aerodynamic oh, cool. testing and then you can see the the movement of your head so and then you can try to compare your each run and then you can see if the head position is really constant. And that makes really sense. 
if you're doing aerodynamic testing with clients. Mm -hmm. And uh, because you don't know what the client or the athlete is doing, if, if the, he's riding one kilometer outbound, you don't see what they are doing. That's, That's right. one reason why pro tour teams like the aerodynamic testing in, in the velodrome, because they have always a view on the athlete. What's it, what is he doing with his head? Mm -hmm. But yet the other side, and uh, the other side is, Don't do something like in the aerodynamic testing what you are not doing in the race. So if you are doing aerodynamic testing and you are trying to bring your head in a constant position, then it's really good to do that. But bring it in a position like you do it on the race. Or, totally agree. Or if you want an improvement, then do it better and then try to ride like that in the race. Mm -hmm. And that's that's the the main question so because if you are doing velo drone testing and you are doing then you have the possibility that you can really keep your head position really constant and uh, because you're just looking down and have always the same position and we was also with our aerometer device in the wind tunnel in in the south of germany and mm -hmm. they that's re a really cool wind tunnel and really high-end sensor technology. I love that. <laughs> and uh, they did a lot of things to, to get the right um, uh, head position. So you have, the, you have a camera from the side and then you have a beamer pr projecting your head position on, on, the, on the ground. And then you have th some markers about your head ah. and you're looking down to the ground and then you can see um, if you move your head or not. And cool. that's really cool. Because you have the possibility to bring your head in the constant position. But the question is, is that how you race? Mm -hmm. Totally. I remember doing, uh, when we were doing with, uh, well, back then it was Stack with Andrew and his virtual wind tunnel. And w when uh, they were first launching the service, uh, he tested a bunch of my guys, fo folks that I was coaching. And at the time I had a studio in Toronto. And so they came in and they, I don't know, they scanned me and maybe a half dozen other people. And it was interesting. We were getting results that were just not consistent with the race results. It's because everybody was like super low, like in the perfect position, you know, like super steady with their heads really low. Like, can you really race like that, though? So you bring up an excellent point. Um, and this was actually when we we had uh, we, we had done a test session with Cody Beals. And this was one of his comments is one of the things that he liked about the testing is that unlike wind tunnel um traditional wind tunnel is that he was he he felt like this testing better represented real life you know like real life uh movement on the bike real life head position and so your point is very well taken that yes you want a realistic you want a, a steady head position but you you want it to be realistic in my case i was riding on um folks in toronto you'll know this um our uh, our municipal government's been closing uh certain roads in the summer uh since the covid pandemic just to give people a little bit more outdoor space which is lovely and hopefully continues if you're listening to me city councilors please keep it going um and uh they there's a stretch that's sadly this summer was not open every weekend that's about six kilometers long and it's along the lake and it's and it's three to four lanes wide and it's only cyclists and runners and it's amazing especially if you get out there early it's super quiet but if you're testing for a while and then you know people show up and and basically it becomes it's busy which is 
perfect. It's like, I want as many humans on bikes and scooters and whatever else on there. Cause that's what, that's what we need as a, as a city. Uh, for, but, uh, for aero testing kind of at past like nine o'clock, it gets a little bit dicey. So when I say it's hard for when I have to look up because sometimes there are like, you know, children or people not paying attention. So I would, I'm, confident that in a race condition i can hold my head in a certain way that i can't actually do in those conditions because there are more unpredictable people um you know out on out enjoying their their sunday afternoon than uh there would be in a race yes yes and and if you are looking on the photos on the race the people have the head really up because they want <laughs> to see the front there are yeah. too many too many so you have no no experience on the on the on the race route you have to navigate there are other athletes there are some other ones and you really need a head position um how you can race but but there are so many more questions you can ask so if you are looking again to the wind tunnel so mm -hmm. it it makes sense to test with a constant head position if you want to test something else like the bottle position sure because then you don't want an influence from the head position because you just want to measure the bottle position or you want or some other small changes, then it's really cool to do something like that in the wind tunnel with 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 markers. Then you can really say, okay, we we there there's no noise from something else, and we can really detect some details. Mm -hmm. But if you are trying to bring your head position in the in the best position for you, then it's really not so easy to do it in the wind tunnel because you have the static bike. You have yeah. no movement there, and it's not like riding out there. So right. that makes, like like you already say, in my view also, more sense to do it outdoor. Yeah, but I'm wondering too that with, with the introduction of, of the IMU, and I'm curious if you ever tested this, uh, Sebastian, but if you do have a helmet IMU, um, And then you know you you do your aero testing and you think okay well this is the fastest uh, position for my for my head my helmet um, could you do could you then not go to a race with that same IMU just recording data yes. and then see yes. like is it close yes. did I do the same thing in the race that I did in yes. testing or how how bad is it or how different is it or maybe if this was how I'm going to hold my head in a race maybe I want to test like that too and so then that's, you that's kind really of cool. mimic that's, it backwards you know yeah that's the way you have to do yeah. that's really the way you have to do it normally it's like Put the IMU into the for the race into the helmet, make the measurements, and then you have an idea how you 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 have the your head position, and then you're going out doing aerodynamics aerodynamic testing, trying to to repeat that to see the CDE value, and then you can make some decisions how you can improve the head positions, how it looks like, and then you can always check if it's repeatability, if you can bring that out into the race. So for, for some riders, it makes really sense because they have no idea what they are doing with their head. And other ones, like um, if you have um, the, the, the mantis, the, the high hands position, then mm -hmm. some people have the possibility like the nose is getting on the, on the Garmin device or, or on the Wahoo or something like that. Yeah. And then you can bring really your head position in the, in the same position because you have a marker with your nose or something like that and bring that in, in the same position.
I was thinking of doing something similar. No, I don't have a, I don't have a mantis. I w- really want to try it, but my my front end won't allow any any kind of any higher hands. I mean, I guess I could flip my I could take a pair of ski bend bars and flip them and stick the wrong end into yes. the into the the uh, the extension holders. Uh, I haven't done that yet, but maybe something to test in the future. But one thing I wanted I I have been able to get my my chin pretty low to the to the bottle, you know, to the BTA bottle, uh, and I'm wondering that if I if I get a bottle that has the straw in it and just like cut it really short and then I can actually like touch it with my chin so I have a similar idea where you have a physical kind of uh you know a physical marker where you you know it, it's a, almost like a reminder like this is where this part of your head needs to touch if you're going to hold this position and so it's a really it's a really interesting idea that I want to test and this and that that kind of testing makes really sense if you're testing not the head position like mm. To, to, to reduce the noise of the head position. Right. And it might be useful for racing too, because like, you know, if you think you can yes, hold your sure. head, but eventually, you know, you get distracted too. You know, you're, you're thinking about, you're not only, only thinking about your head position when you're racing, you're thinking about 12 other things. And then, and then, you know, all of a sudden your head's drifted way up and it's good to have that little reminder to, to bring it down or, um, yes. you know, put it, and, put it where you want you, it. Normally a lot of time, if you're looking at the videos from the side, from the pro athletes, then you see them and they are riding like the head is up and they're looking in the front and then you see they they remember that they have to the the head must be down and then (laughs) the the head goes down and then maybe two seconds riding with the head down and then the head comes up 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 and then they are looking in the front and five seconds later oh i remember head down yeah down (laughs) i remember so I want to. I want to just do one more thing about head position because we could talk about it all day. But uh, I want to <laughs> get to the to the questions too. But uh, the one thing about head position or about like body position in general that I remember somebody telling me, and I want to run it by you because I want to know if if it's true. Um, that obviously there's going to be differences from person to person, but I I remember hearing that it's better to have. Uh, like a slightly higher but stable head position than one that moves up and down all the time. That you mean you, that something about airflow stabilizing over yes. more, a more or less fixed position rather than one that changes very frequently. What do you think on that? Yes, that makes totally sense. Yeah. Okay. And so at, at the end, you should test it. <laughs> but, of course. But normally, normally it's better to have a constant head position. Yeah. than just uh, moving the head too much up and down. That is not really good for the ice cream. Right. And also the, the other thing is like um, I had a lot of people like um, um, if you are putting your aero bars a little bit higher so you have the drop is not too high, mm-hmm. then normally sometimes it's, it's like so you, you're getting more relaxed in the shoulders mm-hmm. and then you can really hang in the shoulders and then you're getting the head more down and because you normally it's like if the drop is too high the people's trying to to bring up the shoulders that that they remove a little bit of the drop so because normally the drop is too high for them and then they mm-hmm. are trying to really bring up the shoulders and and the uh, and the uh, and the neck and getting really the, there's much tension in the muscles mm-hmm. and then they have not the ability to really bring the head in a, in a deep position. So sometimes it really makes sense to getting a little bit higher, right. relaxing the shoulders and bringing the head down. Yeah, yeah, I, I've anecdotally found that too. And then if you look at, you know, the 
the fastest pros, the, 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 at, least, at least the ones that are working with, we know that are working with aerodynamics experts, a lot of them are riding quite high. Like their stack is quite high compared to what we saw 10, five, five, 10 years ago. They're much, much higher. Um, yes. And they're faster, right? The CDA numbers are lower. It's because of that. It's mostly because of the head. Okay, let's leave the head behind because again, we could we could spend a lot of time talking about it. Uh, I want to go back to the aero testing that we we started with with uh, you know your your recommendations for low, medium, high accuracy. If you let's say you're you're not going to seek uh, the advice of an aero fitter because well, there isn't one in your area, um, or you don't want to pay the you know you don't you kind of want to DIY you don't want to pay the cost, um, but you only have uh, you know you only have a single sided power meter and you don't have a speed sensor and maybe you don't want to buy a speed sensor although speed sensors are like fifty bucks Canadian so not super expensive uh, but you probably don't want to buy a new power meter maybe um, is there anything you can do to improve the accuracy when and the equipment accuracy potentially isn't super high. Yeah, so so we have two different methods. We have the 500 meter test route and we have the 1000 meter test route. Mm -hmm. And I would recommend to do the 1000 meter test route. Okay. And then you have the ability to um, get a higher accuracy in just um, repeating a setup more often. So normally mm -hmm. in our system, you need two tests that means 1,000 meter outbound, 1,000 meter inbound. That is one test. And you do in one setup, one setup means constant position, constant equipment. Mm -hmm. You do in one setup, two tests. And so, and then you're seeing in, in our app, you can see the error. So and if you're seeing like you have 4% error, then repeat it a certain time. And yeah. then maybe you see 4%, then repeat it a fourth time. And then you're getting the higher accuracy, but you have to, to spend it with, with more runs. But you can also bring then the error really down because the average value is, is trending to go to the true value, whatever the true value is. But that's, that's the, the law of, of the numbers. <laughs> right. And I think this also applies to, again, in my experience, if you're testing something with a small, a pretty small delta, if you're chasing those really marginal gains, you also need more passes, again, for that same yes. reason that you're trying to improve yes. that signal to noise ratio. Yes. And that's that's always the possibility you have. So you can write it five times, and but if you want really... So you can do a lot of things like the, the double side power meter, the correct test route. Then you have no elevation on the test route. You have no wind speeds and all this that stuff that maybe you just need two runs to get a high accuracy, like one person or one and a half person of mm -hmm. error. And if you have not the best equipment, then you need to do just more runs. But it's also possible. And normally, what, what really interesting is, so the, the problem is like the offset error of the power meter. But if you're okay. doing the aerodynamic testing and you are seeing like there are, you have 30 error points, then you know there is so much potential to get faster. And that's something we can do. That's uh, low-hanging fruits. You will get your CDA value, even with your not the best equipment, you can do it better. So And Got you it. will see the difference. And then the question is not about the, if you have something like such a high CDE value, maybe sometimes it could be that's, well, that's a problem like the rolling resistance, yeah? So <laughs> we not talk too much about that, but we, normally I, it's I, like... I, I, have a, I have a whole new episode planned to, to talk to you about rolling resistance because that's such a, it's such a confounding variable. It's so, I, I almost want, I almost want to put CDA 
and CRR into one bucket and say like, this is your, this is the resistance to movement that we can, that, that isn't necessarily constant. And we're trying to, you know, this is, you know, you put different tires on, you get, you get an improvement in this CRR slash CDA bucket. But I, I don't want to go into that tangent because that's yeah. a long conversation. Yes, that's true. But there's one thing that's important. If you have really bad tires and you like, you have yeah. low pressure and everything else, then it could be as a result that you, just seeing three arrow points slower because of really bad tires. So, and, and that's something like, like um, that's a really low hanging fruit and uh, that makes you so much faster and you feel, feel, feel it directly if you have really good tires. You don't even need to do an arrow tires. test. You can feel it. You can actually like, yes. legitimately feel it. I just went, uh, I was riding on, uh, I was riding on my, on my TT bike and it was, I had, I was using, you know, per your recommendation, I was using aluminum, just, you know, training wheels. And I had a front was a GP4. 4,000, but a back was a gator skin. And then I went yesterday, I tested or two days ago, I tested, I put my, you know, my race wheels on my, uh, my arrow wheels and a disc and I put GP fives on both wheels and with latex tubes. And it was like, even just a ride quality, even though I'm riding a disc, which is like a super stiff wheel, even just a ride quality is so much nicer. And yeah, of course yes. the speed is totally different. And, and the, there's one point left for, for, for um, good aerodynamic testing, like for the test route. If you mm -hmm. have the possibility to find a test route with, with overgrowths along the test route, okay. like, uh, like some small trees or something like that, and uh, not too high, because too high is also a problem than the GPS uh, uh, signal getting worse. Yes, and yes. that's not so cool because we, we make an elevation profile with the GPS values and uh, okay. um, like like the position and the average the, uh, the average elevation values come from all your runs and we need the points and that's the GPS value. But oh, if okay. you have a low overgrowth along the test route, that will make your aerodynamic testing really really good. So. Like Pierre is always someone <laughs> we can talk about, and he yeah. has maybe one of the best accuracies you can see. He's a His machine. Best that guy. test route yeah. is is complete overgrowth along the test route. Yeah, and he has almost no influence from the from any winds. And that you can go out there and do the testing always. He's moved to a different route that has no cars. He, he uh, Pierre's, Pierre's beef is with cars. He doesn't like it when cars pass him. He doesn't like those errors. So he's. I think he's moved now to a, a cycling path that he uh, that he's he's been testing. Um, he's been testing himself and uh, and and his friends on that. But yeah, Pierre's a machine. Like kudos to him. He does he does some excellent work with uh, with arrow testing. Yes, but that's that's a good point. Is that just because it blocks some of the side wind? Is that the idea? Yeah, not not only just the side winds, it also blocks normally uh, the, the front and back winds and mm, um, okay. the, the tail winds and, um, so, and also the side winds. And then you have normally just no influence from the winds. And that makes really high accuracy. So, so in the north of Germany, my, my test route where I do with the clients uh, also overgrows along the sides and it's north to the south and we have the wind from the west or, or the east and so so perfect testing conditions right um you should go and to do some testing in the north of germany <laughs> yeah that's not, not too bad and one thing so about the accuracy sometimes you're really not able to 
to get an idea what's going wrong. So I had a client doing aerodynamic testing and we had um, CDE videos dropping with two error points. Mm. And that's really high. It was a great error and I had no idea what, what's going wrong. Then I took his bike, did with his bike aerodynamic testing and I got really good results like error measurements lower than 2% and okay. it was his body position. Oh, he just wasn't stable? It wasn't stable because he has a, a movement and there was something special with his airstream. Uh-huh. And uh, always when he is riding, we, we get dropping values like two aeroplanes. It was not possible to do aerodynamic testing with him. Hmm. So some people just can't just, just yeah, it's, it's, just it's can't possible. Do that. Yeah. It's, it's so sometimes, and, <laughs> Well, no one can say you what's going wrong at that moment. So, and you, right. you need the idea so to change the rider to see if that if the if the bike or the power meter, the speed sensor, what's the problem? <laughs> Every everything everything influences it. Yeah, everything influences it. Okay, let's get to some listener questions because I know uh, folks are keen to hear this um, that have that have talked to me. The first one comes from my friend uh, Thomas Skelton uh, out of South Carolina, and he wants to know. Uh, how much do beards affect aerodynamic drag? He's got like this awesome, uh, awesome growth on his face that I, I imagine he's pretty proud of, uh, and probably wouldn't want to shave it if uh, <laughs> for aerodynamics. So, how much, how much does a beard make a difference? I'm so sorry, I cannot answer that, that question because I never tested it. It, it <laughs> could be okay. It, it, it could be so well. I tested a lot of things, like like the 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 um, the hairs on the arms, the hairs on on the legs. And okay. uh, the legs are really important. The arms are really not important. important. Yeah. And the uh, arms are not important. No. Okay. Good to know. I'm not shaving yeah. my arms. Not that I ever did, but I was thinking about it, and so now. Yeah, I, don't have to do I did it, and I tried yeah. to test it, but there was normally no no difference in the measurement, yep. because um, well, it depends a little bit on 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 your extensions and your hand positions, but normally you will not measure anything there. And then there are some some really interesting aspects. It's like, is he riding with a visual or not? Yeah. And yeah. what I also, um, I'm not sure how it is. I had a calf on my uh, on my neck. Okay, yeah. And with that, I'm faster. So, and... <laughs> Really, repeatability, just yeah. uh, really small numbers. But if I have my my aero helmet and and something like uh, on my on my neck, yeah, then I'm getting faster. So if I put it over my 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 shin, right, yeah, 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 and getting close to my shoulders, it's yeah. like um, it's like a fairing almost. If I have almost. the big Uvex helmet on, yeah, so then then there's maybe I'm not sure, but maybe it's better for the airstream to 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 hold it on the position. So it could be really interesting to measure that with, with the beer, but but the problem is that he yeah. has to- I, understand. I think I know where you're going with this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the it would be test... really interesting. <laughs> yeah. So Thomas, here's your assignment, is that you gotta, you gotta have to do some aero testing with the beard and then you gotta shave the thing off and repeat it right away. So we'll, we'll have to have not only like, you know, I've been uh, sometimes on some tests, I've had a mechanic out in the field. So we'll have to have a mechanic and a barber as well to uh, shave your beard for you. <laughs> That could be uh, that could be the next experiment. Um, then uh, another question, and uh, this this came from uh, one of uh, a gentleman who follows us on uh, on Instagram, 
And uh, we covered some of this already, but if you're testing just by yourself uh, and you don't have access to helmets and kits and bottle setups, um, what should you test? And I think I know where you're gonna go with this, Sebastian, but I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Yes, so normally it's like, so the, the problem is, you maybe you was a, at a bike fitting so and you feel comfortable and you have a good feeling with the power on on the pedals and you are feeling really good in that mm-hmm. position so then the question is how the aerodynamic is and normally you can do a lot of testing there so one of the things is like um like the drop you can test the drops and normally it's like you can go with the with the arrow bar one one centimeter lower one centimeter lower one centimeter lower that's normal stuff what you can test you can also test like the length of your position like mm. getting so so normally i would say if you was at the bike fitting just um be stable in the in the position of the saddle don't make any changes there. Mm-hmm. Just go into the front, and then mm-hmm. you have all the possibilities, like the drop, like the um, extensions. Try in high hands position if it's possible with your mm-hmm. with your aero bar, and then you have all also the the armrest, like um, the width of the armrest, like the width mm-hmm. of your arms is really important in aerodynamics. Mm-hmm. So if you're getting closer with your elbows together then you're getting faster and that is an 80 percent chance and you can try that and normally it's like so some people have the problems that they don't can uh, it's that it's not so easily for the breathing so that's something you have to test if if you get affected from that and the other thing is like you will lose control over your bike if you're getting your elbows more closer together and then you need different armrests like high armrests that you're getting a real good um, connection to your to your aero bars and then you can ride really with this complete closed elbows together with this good armrest it's no problem so mm-hmm. that makes normally you faster then you have the possibility to to imagine what are you doing with your hips and if you can bring the hip rotation is really important um, for for really fast cycling because then you're getting a long back and a flat back and the hip rotation i i already told something about that you have two problems normally there one problem could be the pressure in the uh, at the saddle that you yep. don't rotate your hips and the other problem could be that your frame is not long enough because mm-hmm. if you want to rotate, then you're getting really longer, two, three, or four centimeters. Yeah, <laughs> you need totally. that in the front. So, and that's something you can test. So, hip rotation, getting longer, and uh, getting the armrest closer together, and then um, normally you can do the special stuff like the shoulder shrunk or the the turtle position with, with your head, mm-hmm. and. Uh, the, the hip rotation, well, that's the important stuff to getting really fast, but you can do that without any equipment testing. And then one thing what really makes sense, and that's another question, maybe we come later to that, is, is the bottles, like your fueling system for, for you. And there, a lot of gains possible there. Mm-hmm. So just uh, my own kind of my own two cents on this. Uh, 
Sebastian, what you said about a longer bike, that is totally the case. So I've, I'm borrowing a friend's bike and he is, he is six centimeters taller than me. So I'm 182 and he's 188 centimeters. So he rides an extra large felt IA10. So I have a, I have an XL felt IA10, which basically I'm trying to get a bike that's as big as possible where, where I can do the standover without, you know, crushing my genitals on the top tube where the top tube isn't so high that I can actually like touch the ground. I've got fairly long legs, so I'm okay. But, and I'm also riding those, those long, um, uh, tri-rig cup holders and I'm far forward on them. So my reach on this bike is a bike that does not exist. So I'm, Maybe a little bit above average height at 182, uh, but certainly not not exceptionally tall. Um, lots of folks taller than me, and I am riding a bike that's longer than almost anything that that's manufactured right now. Because and so manufacturers, you got to start building longer bikes for us because longer is more aerodynamic. I'm I'm so convinced of this, and I don't want to move my saddle further back because I don't want to close my hip angle. So you know how the only way I can get length is through a longer frame or through more reach in the front. So I think that point is very well taken. The narrow um, elbow position, I think, is a really cool one. It does take some getting used to. So absolutely, I agree with you, Sebastian, that uh, a high wall... Uh, cup holder is really important, but it's also even even still you're gonna have you're gonna have much better control than if you're riding the like kind of the old school very flat pad pads. But it's still gonna take a little bit of getting used to because your your steering axis is just so much shorter. Um, yes, you have a better connection with the bike with the the steeper uh, pad holders, but it still it still takes some getting used to. But it's it's definitely I agree from what I've tested, it's definitely faster too. So, uh, listener, uh, thank you very much for the question. I think uh, there's lots of things you can test, even if you don't have helmets and kits and and uh, bottles. Yeah, and the thing is, just start with the testing. The thing is, just start with it. And mm-hmm. the idea comes with the testing. And that makes so much fun. And normally, if you have someone else, you can do tests with him. Just share the helmets, just share maybe sometimes the clothes. And mm-hmm. do it not alone. Maybe you have a guy who you like you train with him or you have a training group or something like that. Mm-hmm. Share the experience. Do it together. And uh, then it makes a lot of more fun. And then you see the different CDE values and you see the different stuff. Then the ideas come, what you can improve. Mm-hmm. Then you see maybe th- this makes more sense for me. And that's so important to do if it's possible to do that in a team. Yeah. No, it makes it, it that's a great point. Cause then you see somebody's CDA is like, wow, that's, you're so much, fa- your, your CDA is so much lower and you're like my size riding a similar bike. What are you doing that I'm not doing? Could I do that thing? Can I, and then, or, you know, vice versa, you can really learn from each other that way. Even if you don't have a professional, you know, uh, fitter tester with you. Yeah. At the moment it's like, so all over the world, you have really high end aerodynamic te- tester, but they are really really single in in their in their location so almost they, they are not too much high-end aerodynamic tester at the same location so yeah. and and they have all their knowledge and they tested so much and there's so so much experience out there but they they normally don't have someone who who can they talk about that so and it makes really sense to to share the experience to improve and then and that 
it makes really fun. So if you are doing aerodynamic testing with four or five people and the and you seeing like the other one is getting faster than you want faster too, and then mm -hmm. you see well maybe at the beginning all the people riding maybe under forty kilometers per hour, and then later the they ride the same test with the same power with forty two or forty three kilometers per hour, getting mm -hmm. hoot steps in the front that really makes a day. Yeah, yeah, and this is why I keep talking to you, Sebastian, or keep dragging you onto the podcast because of what you just <laughs> said. Because I have a lot of questions, and uh, it's it's always it is fun to learn from other people. I I could not agree more. That's my like. That's definitely my mo. So um, you mentioned bottles, and that's that's gonna be the last question that we tackle today. And this is something that I uh, I saw uh, on your Instagram post, and it came from an older blog post. But yes. uh, I think probably one of your one of your aero uh, testers, aero fitters, did this test. Uh, yes. This was on a road bike, uh, listeners, and um, this gentleman tested bottles uh, on the down tube, on the seat tube, only uh, on both, on both, and then, then he tested the standard size bottles and then also a, a one liter bottle uh, to see what was faster. And the, and these results, when I first when I first read this, it didn't make any sense to me. So the just uh, just to go over the numbers very quickly, and we'll link to the uh, the blog post so you can see it for yourself. But uh, just so that you have context while listening. Um, so there, there was a reference uh, reference wattage with no bottles. Uh, a standard bottle on the down tube cost an extra six watts, which is you know it doesn't surprise me too much. Uh, a bigger bottle on the same down tube uh, only cost an extra two watts over the smaller bottle, so essentially a wash within the margin of error. Um, a standard bottle mounted only on the C tube was 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 actually lower wattage than the reference, which didn't make any sense to me. And I'll tell you why it didn't make any sense. And then both bottles, so down tube and top tube, standard size bottles, was uh, a huge, uh, what is it, like 25 watts higher than the reference. So a huge, so the by far the worst setup was both bottles, which is what everyone always rides, especially on a longer ride. Um, and the best was actually a bottle on the C-tube, which the reason this doesn't make any sense, didn't make any sense to me, maybe it sort of does now, is because I always thought that, look, a bottle is a cylinder. Uh, cylinders are very slow in, in airflow. Um, and the cylinder on the down tube would have would have been angled at you know whatever down tube angle is and so the the profile so stay with me listeners the profile that that presents to the airflow is not a circle but an oval and an oval is less is is has a lower cd than than a circle does so i always always assumed that that the angled down tube bottle would be faster than a more or less vertical because your c tube is close to vertical, a more or less vertical C2 bottle, but it turns out it's the other way and it's a lot the other way. So I think I know, I, I have a guess as to why this is, but I would love to hear why why you think this is the case, Sebastian. And if you've, if you've tested this yourself and if it bears out. Yeah. So, so if I'm looking at the results here, you, you speak about setup one and setup five, right? Correct. And, yeah. Uh, and in setup five, we, we have just uh, so we always so if the listeners maybe looking later into the the tests, then you always see in the setups the change what have been done. Mm -hmm. And uh, so in from setup one to setup two, the change was we we beginning with no with no bottles. And the question is sometimes um, like like here you can see the cage was not mounted. That's important. Okay. So. So um, always look if you are doing the aerodynamic testing without bottles and having the cage still on the on the frame or not. So that right. makes of a course. difference. 
Yes. And then you see the second setup, you, we, we change it, that just uh, the bottle to the front frame, mm -hmm. um, like the, the down tube. And then we had the, the big one, the one liter, and then in the setup four, boost bottles. And mm -hmm. setup f five, we just removed the, 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 the down bottle and having just the bottle on the C-tube. And it's a little bit slower than boost bottles, Michael. Well, no, according to what I'm looking at is, is C, so his reference is 214 watts and uh, C-tube only was 212 watts is the is is in the blog post. Are we looking at the same blog post? Uh, yeah, so if you, if you, yeah, and I think the, the problem is that uh, the, the uh, in the blog post that it's not correct there. Because oh, in the course. test itself, yeah. it's a little bit slower. Oh, it's a little bit slower? Okay, yes. I'm just looking at the test itself now. <laughs> I think that's a problem in the block. I'm sorry for that. Okay, that's <laughs> a, oh, it is a little bit slower. That. Okay. A little bit so, slower. So, <laughs> so like, like um, three or four watts slower. But it's really interesting also, yeah, because if you have the possibility to, to mount just one bubble, take the, the C-tube, it's... You have less effect there because um, if you are looking about the the, um, the the airstream, it's like the the um, the downstream is more important than the upstream on 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 an on object. So it's more important that you have a good downstream than a good upstream. So the the, the front of the area is not so important like the back of the object. So. And so that that's why um, the if you're having the the um, the down tube, you have an maybe you have a good aerodynamic down tube, and you put the bottle behind that good aerodynamic down tube, then you make the downstream of the of the frame you destroy it, uh, and that's bad. So and if you are looking yeah. on the on the C tube, then you make the the upstream. You destroy the upstream. That the upstream is not perfect, but the downstream is still okay. That's because yeah. the the bottle on the C tube is has a less negative effect than the bottle on the on the on the um, down tube. Cool. Okay. So then, uh, riddle me this. Or answer me this. Why are two bottles so bad? Yeah. They at the end, it's like they destroy everything. <laughs> <laughs> so it just gets really messy yeah, okay. because normally you you want something like like the the air can be um really smooth on on the on the surface right and if you lose the okay. surface then you have the turbulences there and um well mm -hmm. it's maybe some something special there but if you're going out there and doing aerodynamic testing then most of the time you have with the two bottles, you will have the worst CDA value, and that's repeatability. And that's and that's the difference is enormous. It's a it's 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 so much bigger and it's so much worse than than any of the other combinations. I wonder if we should start mounting our you know our bottles differently for if we're competitive on road on uh, you know if we have to mount frame bottles like let's say on a road bike, which of course this was with uh, and it wasn't uh, it wasn't I don't think it was an aero road bike. It was uh, it looks like a canyon. Uh, what was it? Canyon Ultimate. Yeah, it's, it's the ultimate. Yeah. It's their lightweight bike. 
lightweight road bike. So um, maybe we should start rethinking where we put our bottles because this is really bad with two bottles on in, in the frame, in the triangle. Yeah. Really bad. And anyway, maybe something, it's, something to think yeah, about. Yeah, and you, you have also some effects about the, the cage and the mounting system. And and uh, if you're looking... Uh, so what really interesting is if you change that bottles with aerodynamic bottles like the, like the um, Elite or something like that, then you sometimes mm -hmm, yeah. can see, like if you have the aerodynamic profiles with the dimples or something like that, then you can sometimes see if you put then two bottles in the frame, you can get also faster. You can actually improve it's, aerodynamics over like possible, a bare yes. frame? I, I have cool. really repeatedly seen that also. Very cool. That's something to play around with. So, Sebastian, this has been this has been a lot of fun. We've we've again. It, it feels like we only ever scratched the surface of this conversation, just because it's uh, it's a big conversation. There's always something to talk about, and we didn't talk about uh, rolling resistance, which is something that I've been like scratching my head about for for quite some time. There are I've had conversations, and I'm actually having another one soon. Uh, listeners, which I'll report to once I actually have it about the effect of. Um, uh road temperature on rolling resistance and i've heard everything from it makes no difference to it makes a huge difference so and then in my own testing i don't i don't have enough resolution or i can't tease apart the things well enough to to draw my own conclusions and i know we've talked about it so i'm not even going to talk about it i'm just going to say that it, it's something that's been bugging me and i'm trying to figure out but maybe that's for a later episode um but yeah listen this is this is always fun i always really enjoy our chats because i'm 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 kind of like i i, I hope to never stop learning and this is i always learn uh quite a bit when i when i have a conversation with you sebastian so thank you for taking the time as always and for coming on the show um it's been a pleasure thank you michael it was a pleasure for me too and it's always nice to share the knowledge to to speak about that and to give some ideas out there and um, it's uh, begin testing right so listeners of course we will so we'll put a bunch of links to this uh in this show we'll put links to our first chat with sebastian and then our, our conversation with bjorn as well who is the uh the metabolic side of aerotune and that's something else you can do on the platform we'll put links to the to aerotune of course uh, as well as i won't link to the blog or maybe i'll link to the blog and to the the test results, which you can actually, this is another fun feature of Aerotune is if um, somebody, you know, if you do a test in Aerotune and if you want to, you can share it with everybody else, with the community so that, you know, when, when, uh, when we realized that the results were not quite right in the blog post, we were able to, and even I was able to, because I don't have backend access to open up the, uh, this specific test because the, the user made it public. Um, so we can actually see it, everything that was, that was done. So that's really cool because you can learn from other people who have maybe tested something that you're interested in testing if you want to do the research on the platform and that's you know available to everybody you don't need a subscription for that part and there's a lot of knowledge there so many aerodynamic tests with so many knowledge about helmets closest yeah. body position and, and everything else and like and some really smart people yeah, yeah who are all usually willing to talk about their 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 testing like pierre that we mentioned earlier on and we, yeah. ha we have tests out there with more than 20 comments on a on an aerodynamic test to understand what the people have done and what are the benefits and there's so many knowledge out there and so much things to learn yes yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely worth checking out, folks. Even if you're not gonna jump into testing, although I do think it's it's fun to do and just try it. If you have a power meter and a and a, and a Garmin, you're probably good to go. Um, 
yeah, with that, I think we'll sign off. We'll leave it there. It's already, we, this episode's already run a little bit long. Um, and listeners, as always, if you do like what we do, then uh, give us a rating and review and uh, tell your friends, tell them what you learned here today. Uh, encourage them to listen to Endurance Innovation. And we are on Patreon. Thank you to the folks who have pitched in to support us. Um, and that's at uh, patreon.com slash endurance innovation. So we'll, uh, we'll be back next week with another episode. Till then, see you later.